0: You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast.
1: Lesson 1. Basic Hip
2: Welcome to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 521 for May 13th, 2020. On today's show, woodwind player Brian Landris. This show exists because listeners become members. Please become one today for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. At the risk of using the now more than ever cliche, now more than ever, I could really use your support because all of my freelance work has dried up and... Your support is quite honestly what's putting food on the table. So if you can see your way toward going to the jazz session slash join and becoming a member, uh, it is no small thing. If you're listening to this when it comes out, then Brian Landris's new album drops in two days on May 15th, 2020. It's called For Now. Landris, welcome back to The Jazz Session.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Jason.
2: It's a real pleasure to have you here. We're talking about a new record that actually, if people are listening to this episode on the day it comes out, which is May 13th, 2020, this new album comes out in 48 hours on the 15th. It's called For Now. It's on Blue Land Records, and it essentially defines the term all-star cast because the people on this record are... I mean, this is like, this is the best day at the Union Hall for hiring, apparently. Um, And so maybe we can dive in just right there because I think it will set the stage for talking about the album as a whole if we talk about the people who are on it with you. So would you mind doing the honors there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So it's Fred Hurst on piano and Michael Rodriguez on trumpet, Drew Gress on bass, Billy Hart on drums, Sarah Caswell. On uh, violin and Joyce Haman on violin, Lois Martin on viola, and Jody Roberts Ferber on cello. It's it's a lot of uh, fantastic musicians and people that that I've been lucky to work with working with quite a bit in the city for the last few years. So it's kind of like a family situation, and even with with fred I, you know i've known him for quite a while now and, and i asked him he was the first person i asked when i was starting to write the music uh if he wanted to play on it and he was he was very interested uh but he's i mean i really admire him for his perfectionism and, and he wanted to know you know who all the people were that i was interested in and soon as i started telling him everyone that i wanted it was, he was like oh yeah i love playing with I love playing with billy and you know, Drew's fantastic and mike and and, and he's teamed with a bunch of, of all these people and we've all worked in with each other in different settings. So it was, it was really nice to get all these people together who have a lot of connections and a lot of history and, uh, and, and make music. It was, it was amazing.
2: Yeah. I love that idea of a kind of family atmosphere in recording, like people with whom you have an emotional connection. I know that in certainly in the jazz world where, um, you know, recording projects often have to happen in a pretty compressed time frame. Sometimes it can be hard to kind of generate the feeling of band if it's not a group of people who are always together. And it sounds like in this case, kind of both professional and personal relationships factored into making that feel more cohesive. Is that fair?
0: Oh, yeah, certainly. And I had never recorded with Fred. And so I talked to, we discussed, he teaches at Rutgers, he used to, I should say, he had his last semester. And we we spoke a lot there and discussed all sorts of different facets of music and it, so I, I felt like we you know, we knew each other pretty well going into things and, and a lot of uh, the discussions around what I wanted to do with this music helped help build our friendship and the connection going in because he wanted to even even after he said yeah you know I'd love to be a part of this but I want you to send me the the music and. So I, I took a, a cue from uh, from Bob Brookmeyer, who's one of my my favorite people in the world, one of my one of my teachers, mentors, and best friends. And he always said to me that book the recording session before you have the music done, and that will put the the fire on you more than anything else to get it done. <laughs> and so, so I booked the session, and I've done this a bunch, but I booked the session before having the music together. And Fred, Fred kept calling, saying, you know, send me the charts. And I would tell him, man, I don't have them. He said, I'm writing it. And so it was just it's like, well, okay, well, send me what you have. So as I wrote the tunes, I'd send them out to him. And, and he loved them. So he, you know, he worked on them. And when we went into the studio, I really wanted to feature him and let him uh, just play them like they're in zone. And that's exactly what he did. And so I gave him a lot of freedom to, take the melodies and, and, and things like that where he's able to stretch and, and do what he does and I think that, that helped a lot and I know uh, Billy's been on his four of my records and we worked a bunch and together and, he's, and he's, uh, he's another person that I just absolutely love and Billy's such a genius that uh, just hearing him play, everything just feels good so when we, write from the get-go in the studio, it felt amazing and a lot of the tunes we did with the quintet without the strings we did on on, it was first tapes and it was just it just felt great and I wrote music specifically so people could stretch out and not have to be uh, stuck in the music so they were able to the melodies were strong enough that they could they could hear them in their head and then move on and, and put their personality into it and I think that's where as you said earlier it can be challenging if you go into a recording studio Everyone is just buried in the music and they're trying to play their own part. And it's so complicated that they can't, they're barely playing their own thing. And it's hard to get away from that and then make the group sound like a, like a band. And so that's one of the things I really try to do now is, is bring in music uh, that, that is playable for the musicians and uh, that they can, they can read it down and and play it like, like it's theirs, like they wrote it. And that's exactly what Fred, Fred certainly did and Billy. So it's, that's the thing where it's when you do have limited time in the studio, you have to be aware of, uh, of what, the, you know, what the most important things are. And for me, uh, comfort in the music is, is critical.
2: album and and please feel free to correct me but this album feels to me when listening to it like as much as anything it's held together by emotional themes um you know often like you listen to a record and you can kind of hear like oh yeah this this bit of music that happened here recurred here and that kind of thing and you you kind of try to put the puzzle together for this one it it does seem kind of of a piece to me but that piece feels much more like it's just a piece of your interior when I listen to this album. And I'm curious about the, you know, to you, if there's any thread that, that runs through it or, you know, kind of theme or feeling or emotional space you were in when you were writing the music.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a major spiritual connection to, to this altered. I, I, a lot of it is, uh, you know, I, I write lyrics to most of my music and they're never sung. They're never heard. People never know what they are. Sometimes the lyric of of what would be the chorus, maybe the name of the song, or things like that. But what I, I got that from uh, once again from Bob uh, from Brookmeyer, and he got that from Miles. he got that from Lester. Just talking about just making putting words to the to the music, and it, it gets rid of a lot of the uh, unnecessary notiness for me. So it's it's like when you play an old standard, and it just has a simple melody that just connects to, to the heart. I think that's something that I've really tried to do where my music has a, as a lyricalness and an emotional connection because there's words. And, uh, you know, I try to, I try to think those when I'm playing the melodies and certainly when I'm orchestrating and arranging the music. And yeah, this is, this album came out in a, in a really tough, in a really tough time of my life. I was, I was in the middle of uh, I had when we recorded. I had just finished just getting my PhD, but when I was writing the music, I was in the tail end of the the dissertation and going through uh, uh, custody issues with my children. So there's music about my kids in there, and just you know, it's one of these things where things were handled completely unnecessarily, and there was so much drama and the best outlet for me is to put that in the music and, and bring something positive out of the situation. And I think because of that, a lot of the music has a, um, maybe a similar theme, which is, which is a light at the end of the tunnel. Dave Pietro, we were playing a gig with Darcy's band, and we were talking about life, and Dave said, uh, Brian, don't forget, You know, there's a, I was just talking about life, and he said, don't, don't you forget, man, that it's not just tunnel. There is a light at the end. It's just not tunnel. And that, that crack, <laughs> You know, sometimes we go through things where it does just feel like Man, this is maybe right now this is, uh, COVID emergency and everything that's going on with the pandemic, maybe that's a similar situation. But for me, it was really uh, a healing, a healing process for me to write this music, dedicate it to my children, just try to play music that, with my favorite people in the world. That's that's something that I think is really uh, important for the musical process. Instead of, I, I've always been a player where I don't. I'm trying not to worry about licks and uh, technique. That's all secondary to the to the heart. So that was really the the goal of this music is is to just I wanted people to feel something when they hear it and, and in their heart, not in their brain. You know, not not uh, technically. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I practice a lot, but I'm not really worried about. Um, technical virtuosity as much as emotional virtuosity. I mean that's it's a lot more important to me to to say something that's that's meaningful than say something that's fireworks.
2: jazz session is the first and oldest jazz interview podcast for 13 years and more than 500 episodes i've been helping musicians tell their stories if you value that mission please become a member for five or ten bucks a month at the jazzsessioncom join you'll get bonus episodes early access to every show and more the jazz join join today and thanks now back to the episode Yeah, I appreciate, first of all, I appreciate you being so open and honest about all of that. And uh, you made the segue I probably would have made yourself, which was to kind of mention the situation we're in as we're recording with the with the pandemic here in uh, in May of 2020. And somebody smarter than me, and I can't remember who I should be crediting for this, but said, you know, the thing about if you want to be universal, be particular, and there's a There's a thing about that, you know, that kind of story you were telling the light at the end of the tunnel story that came out of an extremely uh, particular experience in your life, but definitely does feel like it has universal applicability to all of our lives, you know, in this moment where we find ourselves where it does definitely feel like it's all tunnel and like it might possibly be going toward the center of the earth and not toward (laughs) you know a light uh, yeah <laughs> at the other side yeah and uh yeah it is super important to you know kind of take the joy and the the moments of hope and resolve and that kind of thing where we can where we can find them i think that's a that's a super important lesson
0: yeah it, it certainly is and it's it's something that i know uh from all my all my friends that i've all my best friends have always been most of them have been 20 to 40 years older than me so that you know, much wiser humans. and that's that's the common thread. Like you said it's it's searching for the positivity and, and making sure you're aware of it because there always is. There are always aspects that we can focus on, and that's something I know in uh, certainly in the last few years of my life where it's uh, it's it's been a, a real uh, awareness that I've had to uh, to really face that it's there's it there's so much positivity. and always to try to focus on that it's so easy for us to get negative it's it's really it's so problematic and like you said with the situation right now in the world oh my god it's it'd be it's very easy to get negative about things but but even when you look on what's what's happening in the jazz community and uh there's there's really there's a lot of hope and i think there's going to be some really amazing things that have come out of this
2: I mean, we know for a fact that as you and I are talking, there are like 700 Instagram live concerts probably going on. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, which is incredible. Yeah. Every time you, yeah, you log on to any part of the jazz community online, everybody is in their living room making music, which is just amazing to me. I and mean, I just, it's like the whole world is just filling up with music. That it, oddly enough, <clears throat> I feel like I have access to the music of to people's music and their performances significantly more than i did when it was possible to go see them right um and where you have to make like geographic choices and you know there's these gigs are happening at the same time and that kind of thing and you know in a strange way it almost feels like all of us being locked in our houses has musically speaking kind of woven this thread between everyone because people are so so desperate for connection that like everybody is just sharing what they're working on at this moment and, you know, people are doing concerts together and alone. And I I mean, it's just, it's a really beautiful time in terms of music making as far as I'm concerned.
0: Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, you're right too. It's, it's pretty incredible that you can, you said you can turn on and look, look at Instagram and and go check out, you know, one legend or or this legend or this or that. And it's, that's, that is remarkable because yeah, there are, that's such a, a new opportunity. And I've even, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, and I've been reaching out to a lot of old friends that are fantastic artists. That, and we've we've all been discussing like, what have you been doing? What are you working on? And that's that's really refreshing to actually have a break to to chat with some some old friends. And that's really that's a, it's an interesting thing that's happened, and it's it's brought together a lot of people.
2: Brian, you mentioned that there are strings on this record, and I'm interested in uh, first of all how they got there at all, how you decided to include strings and also the contribution of uh, Robert Aldridge to this album. Yeah.
0: Uh, So, you know, when I was writing the music, the the, the strings came after I wrote the music, actually. What happened was I I was writing this music and when I finished, uh, a lot of the harmonies were so lush that I realized they could never be, they could never, never be fully realized without the addition of a string quartet. And after getting this degree in uh, orchestral composition and writing so much for the, for the symphonic orchestra, uh, it's, it's something that I think I'm just hearing now. Uh, there's so many records that are uh, re-augmented either, either, you know, if you think of like a large ensemble writing of Gil Evans, where there's no strings, I think he did have some stuff with strings, but, you know, or it uh, was something like Stan Getz with Focus and, Harry Carney with strings is a favorite of mine. I, a lot of these sounds are just uh, really, really beautiful and lush. And after I finished writing the music, I, I realized that for it, for it to be true to what, what I was hearing and actually give these, the songs what they deserve, I needed to have strings in it. And so I, I called up this incredible all-star quartet uh, that I worked with. Everyone was, that I worked with was on my last uh, record, which was which was a twenty six piece orchestra, so I knew a lot of a lot of the folks. Oh, I knew all of them, but I, I really wanted to get these specific people, and and I started orchestrating it out. And one of the producers, uh, Robert Aldrich, uh, is was my mentor at Rutgers as well. He's a Grammy winning composer and he's just an amazing writer. Where he's written five hour operas, it's just these huge works. And he's and he's someone that I really, really respect because a lot of the, the works in classical music are a little um, abrasive, and he's m- much more of a lyrical writer. So we always hit it off. And and there's been a common connection with us where he's, he know, knew George Garzon for 30 years, and I studied with George, and he's a dear friend. So we had these connections. So Bob and I just completely hit it off from the beginning. And so when I was telling him... Um, you know, I'm going, we're going into the studio in a month, and I have all these tunes, and I'm going to orchestrate them for string quartet as well. And he he offered uh, to to help out, and I said, please, yeah, let's let's do this. I'll do every song, uh, I'll write them and arrange them for for the whole band, including the strings. Send them to you, and you tell me what you think. And and so he would he would get them and call me and tell me, you know, it's what if we did this? What if we did that? And He's such a brilliant writer that everything he did just made it stronger. So you know, we collaborated, and it was it was really fun you know, to work together and kind of go back and forth and try different things. And then when we took it into the studio, it was it was very successful. And he's very precise, so it was it was great to work with someone uh, of his caliber that has that precision element. I sometimes see a larger picture and he was able to hone in on on certain things and I thought maybe the cello could be up an octave right here and doubled with the viola while you're doing this and stuff I I had not thought of at all so it's it's really I love collaborating with people you know people like him where it's complete admiration of, of what he can do and so he was he was. He worked super hard on this, and it was fantastic in the studio, uh, hearing all this stuff come to life. It was really great. I wanted the string quartet to not be just background, uh, you know. So that was one of the things that. There's a tendency when I've, I've done a lot of commercial composing and arranging where people want the strings to be in the background, and just you know, here's the chorus and throw in some pads. This was. I wanted them to be integrated and playing the melodies and taking the role of uh, Lee melody on, on pretty much every song at some point. So that was because they're just fantastic artists themselves. So I wanted to feature them and, and explore the timbres available with the strings.
2: I know, as you mentioned, that you, uh, you've you written for uh, strings previously and, and uh, now on this record, and th- it's an experience I will never have, but I have to imagine it's pretty amazing to get to hear a group of strings playing the music that you've written. I mean, it just seems like it's almost like the, the urtext of our experience of music. I mean, I guess the voice is older, but to me, when I think about like, okay, now this is going to be realized in one of its fullest ways, I often think, you know, of uh, an orchestra playing the music or that kind of thing. And this just seems like it must be a pretty special experience from the point of view of a composer, let alone also a participant on the album, but from just the point of view of the person who wrote the music.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's first when I started writing for strings years ago, it's a a territory that a lot of jazz musicians never go into because it is such a foreign place in a lot of ways. And we all grow up in college, learning how to write for a big bands, and that's you know the, the jazz orchestra, which is all horns. And then when you start getting into you know Stravinsky and Ravel and these incredible composers and orchestrators, it's there's a richness that I, I don't think we can get any other way. So yeah, it's true. When you when you hear that, once you start writing for those instruments, it's it really I, it's hard for me to to go back. I hear things with that when I write nowadays. I'm hearing strings, so it's hard to shut that door when I know how incredible it's gonna be. It's, it's really anything you write can sound so much better with them. And like you said, there's the lineage of 900 years, you know, uh, of orchestra. I mean, it, there's this, there's this incredible lineage of the music that uh, is, is all, it's all connected.
2: Well I guess in in 5 years or whatever uh, we'll do an interview where it's like your five orchestra album. <laughs> you know, right. 400 musicians all playing the music. Yeah. Of Brian right, Landers. of course, <laughs> helicopters and yeah, who else,
0: knows, you know. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's... right. Bass clarinet, barry sax and 400 strings. Here we go. <laughs> that good. That's give good. give yeah. the downbeat and let's see what let's happens. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, uh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I can't ever remember actually asking this question on this podcast before, uh, in all of these years, but w- this music to me seems kind of connected to your influences in a really visceral way. And I mean, like w- one of the places in this, it doesn't take any special skill to be able to make this comparison, but one of the places is, for example, the solo version of Round Midnight that's on here, um... You know, which anyone who has kind of listened, especially to the the low wind (laughs) lineage, uh, you know, is kind of immediately drawn into memories of some of the great folks who've gone before, particularly um, Eric Dolphy, I think of. And um, so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your feeling of connection. And I'm not really necessarily asking who are your influences, but I guess I just mean, how do you see yourself in the the grand sweep of this music? And is that even important to you as a as a writer or player? (laughs)
1: I'm <laughs> sorry.
0: in particular to me which i have to say in all honesty it feels really more like my most natural voice of any of the instruments i play and really when the more i play that instrument i i love baritone but uh bass clarinet is just oh, i just i just love that instrument it just feels natural and it's gotten to a point where it's i, I prefer it and something about that instrument that has always been really uh beautiful to me is that we don't have the preconceptions of what it's supposed to do how it's supposed to sound uh and that leaves the worlds of possibilities completely open because i don't have those those preconceptions like i have on other instruments that i play it's the baritone you know i pick it up and everyone you know can can think of either you know pepper or mulligan or ronnie and just you name it you know you have there's this these certain people that have such incredible influence and sound that we all, we all kind of reference those players, you know, Dolphy's the only person on bass clarinet, you know, there's, there's other players, but really he was, he was the father of it. And to this day, still the leading influence on everyone. And that, that instrument is is such a, um, such a connection now, I guess there's, I've, I've just practiced it so much. And uh, it's, it's something that, um, you know, I've worked with some orchestras and some players that, that didn't, didn't like my sound and, on that instrument. And that's, and that's fine. You know, at first when you're young, it's, you hear those things and it's, it can be really, um, like it's hurtful, you know, when, and, and the, the one thing like, uh, I, I love Maria, Maria Schneider. I still work with her and still do things with her. But I remember when I had just moved to New York and I was, I was subbing for Scott Robinson and her band and. And I asked her, you know, is is there something that you'd like me to work on? And she said, well, yeah, your bass clarinet tone is, it's a little rough. And, you know, I wish you could get more of like the sound that Scott's getting and just a darker kind of, and I remember for a while, there was about a year where I was trying to to do that. And then finally I just gave up and realized, well, this is my sound and it may not be pleasing to everyone. and, And I understand that's fine, but. I felt like it was just that was a turning point in my in my career where at least i just had to embrace the sound i was getting out of that instrument and it was it was me and hey, take or leave it you know it's like this is this is what i'm getting out of it and it's it's different and like around midnight that song I, i've been playing that song since i was 12 or 13 and it's such an incredibly gorgeous song and i wanted to have it on the record but when I was thinking about it, I thought there's there's so many amazing versions of that song that the only thing I could think of that would kind of do justice would be just to play it just alone and just do something that was, was just different than, uh, than what I uh, was thinking of initially. And so when I went into the studio, that was, we did that and I did one take and it, it felt um, a little, I guess, forced. And so I said, let's, let's do one more. And I just, tried to think of what the instrument wanted to do and how how it should be how how the song would would sound the strongest and the most beautifully and you know, we recorded it and that's that's what's on the record and it's uh, I don't that's a really unique song for, for a lot of ways and, and I love it it's it's fitting that I played it on on bass clarinet. so that's uh, it's it's interesting because when I, a lot of times when I'm playing now uh, people, just asked me to play bass clarinet only. They'll say, Oh yeah, that's that's great, great. But um do you think bass clarinet would work on this song? <laughs> and I'm always like, Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and and one of the people uh that was one of the crazy parts of my life when I was touring with Esperanza, you know, Prince Prince asked us to a couple of the people in her band to play. And so I came out with bass clarinet and Prince was like, What the hell? And he walked up and he's like, What you know, what, that's a clarinet, right? And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, uh, and he was—he's was like, play for me real quick. And, and so I played a, played the chromatic scale up and down. And he said, holy shit! He <laughs> was like, man, that's a, yes, do that. Play that. I don't want to hear saxophone. I want that. Let's do that. And so, and, and so, it's, people have that reaction when they hear the instrument. Who? It's just—it just has this woody, earthy texture to it that is, uh, is is just such a such a gorgeous sounding instrument. And there's so many different ways to, to use it. So it's... I think that's where my heart's at the most these days.
2: I mean, I'm no expert, but I think the point at which your bass clarinet tone impresses Prince is the point at which you can probably stop trying to perfect your bass clarinet tone. Right? I mean, I think you've... <laughs> I think you've got it at that point.
0: Uh, he just didn't know what it was. That's all. He just was... <laughs>
2: Right. I don't know. That dude was a genius and I yeah, I he. I kind of feel like maybe he didn't know what it was when he, list, you know, when he first saw yeah, it. But yeah. you know, talk about a guy who knows how to take a sound palette and that's, make something interesting true. out of it. I mean,
1: Certainly.
2: yeah, if he hears that instrument and says, "Yes, let's do that." Yeah. Then I feel like <laughs> Yeah, you're you're good. At that point. Yeah, I, I will true. take the Prince seal of approval over almost anything. <laughs> to be t- totally honest with you, uh, exactly. So, yep. yeah, Uh that's that's so awesome. Um, well, I, I now that I've uh, you made a a joke, it, I hope it doesn't take away from me saying that I actually I think the version of I mean I know there's so much of your own composition and your own arrangement and everything on here. I don't want, I just want to highlight the the cover tune, but your version of Round Midnight on here is just it's just heart-stoppingly fabulous. I oh, mean it's it's stunning and you. I I I love it and I love your sound and just everything about it. I mean it is just it is a direct communication from one human soul to another and that's that's all you can ask for oh, in music I think and it's it's perfect. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Let's take a moment to thank the folks who make the Jazz Session possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at thejazzsession. Take a second right now, if you would, to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, because it helps me reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter, you can go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now back to the episode. Uh, you've done the the you know large ensemble work. You've now done kind of a quote unquote, typical jazz grouping, but uh, with strings integrated into it. Um, I wonder what, as you look down the road, what are you thinking of might be coming up?
0: Uh, big man record is, is the next thing that, nice. you know I, I'm really thinking about doing. i uh, I just just got a full-time uh, position at uh, uh, the California State University in Sacramento. They have me teaching jazz improv, jazz arranging, and also their their um, number one big band. So I'm really really focusing on on writing for big bands, and I wanna I wanna get that. I wanna just put out a record with all all my New York friends and just just explore that. And I you know I studied that a lot in college, and it was something that I've I've always loved. But uh, you know I've, I've written probably I guess. Seventeen, eighteen charts for big band, but you know, life experience is so important. And I think that now I'm, I'm such a, a different person with uh, a much different perspective that I, I'm excited to write for that instrumentation and and explore some different sounds. Uh, you know, it's, for me, it's usually, I guess, I, in the last and the last records I've been doing, it's I kind of go back and forth from large ensemble to small ensemble and kind of you know so the other part of me is like let's do a trio record again and just get the bare bones and and explore uh and that that'll be up there too i'm not sure which one i think i'll do big band first though but it's it's just it's hovering around in my mind and you know the way that i write uh i i practice every day but i don't compose every day i i feel like um I know Brookmeyer, Bob would be mad for me saying that but he he always said just keep the pencil on the paper every day but for me I have to kind of store up um, inspiration and the emotional context of of life situations and then it's then it just sometimes it just opens like a floodgate and I'll write a whole record and that's that's it's like the, for now when I recorded that record or when I wrote the music for that I wrote all the music in like 3 weeks so it's uh, it's not that um that I can do that all the time it was it was it had been a couple years so I needed to I had a lot to get out and that's that's kind of what I what I look for when I'm writing I, I really I, I wait for these good moments um and just and just and dive in so you know the big band seems like it would be uh, a very intelligent thing to do and and I love that I love that uh that instrumentation so it's uh, that that seems like the most logical step uh, in the next direction. Because, uh, you know, as much as uh, Generation was director before this one, as much as I love that music, we've only been able to perform it about four times, and it's because it takes uh, 26 musicians, and it's not a standard, it's a, it's a chamber orchestra, and it's not standard, and the, the classical orchestras I've worked with have had a really hard time with it rhythmically, and then I'll have a, a drummer, you know, on uh, it, like you know Justin Brown, who comes in, and they don't know how to how to feel the rhythm with him because he's such an amazing artist. But you know, there's there's these hard things to to work with. So it would be nice to have something where I can just have this music that I can send it out to jazz orchestras all over the world, and they can just perform it and not not have to augment their band with a bunch of strings and different things that, that they normally don't have. And that's also a big part of. Uh, of the lineage which is which is really important to me as an artist to have these all these different templates and uh, cover all your bases and, and learn and there's so much to learn and I have, I have a lot of scores that I haven't examined as much as I need to
2: I'd also, uh, as your, you know, your new manager and spiritual guru, I'd also like to make a, uh, a case for like, maybe for like a Patreon only or a YouTube channel. That's just like once every couple weeks, a solo basically
1: <laughs> standards or
2: your own tunes or I whatever.
1: Like Let's do it. But I think that would be
2: awesome. Like, While you're working on all this other stuff, which is awesome, and I definitely want to hear it, and I'm not telling you to give up that part of your career, uh, but I am just saying that just you can just send them directly to me. That's also fine. We got it. We got it. But just like every couple weeks, I just want an MP3 of another solo based cleanup performance. I will happily subscribe and pay money. But I just that's what that's what I'm asking for. Give the people what they want is what I'm saying. I hear you. And
0: you see, you're another one that's like. (laughs) Base clarinet, right? I know. It's,
2: it's, yep, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's it's what I'm so, looking for. So that's what I need in my life. <laughs> <It's more. Yep. laughs> that's right. It's exactly. Just, Sometimes you have to let the cultural zeitgeist sweep you along. And this is one of those times. It's true. And it's just, it's all solo bass clarinet all the time. That's what the kids want, Brian. That's what the kids want. I mean, they they kids want. That, so I gotta listen to them. <laughs> gotta do it. My guest for this episode has been Brian Landris. I will point out that uh, there's a previous episode with Brian in the archives. If you go to thejazzsession.com and just click on Archive and they're in alphabetical order, you can find that. Uh, Also, uh, as we mentioned, Fred Hirsch and Billy Hart are both on this record, and both of them have episodes of the Jazz Session 2, which are also in the archives. The new album from Brian, which if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, comes out in a couple days, May 15th, 2020. It's called For Now, and I think I've made it fairly obvious by this point that you should definitely hear it brian it's been such a pleasure to chat with you uh let's do it again in less time than i let pass between the last episode and this one and uh, i just i wish you all the best and it's it's so great to hear all the fabulous music you're making thanks for coming on the show
0: oh thank you so much for having me jason it's a real honor to talk to you You're, you're incredible so thank you so much
2: If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com. join. Thanks to my guest this week, Brian Landris. On next week's show, it's guitarist Wendy Eisenberg. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.